BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. In order to support this show, we'll need the help of some great advertisers. And that means we'll need to learn a little more about you. So you can help the show by taking a quick, anonymous survey to help us get to know you a little better. Once you've completed the survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Find the survey at podsurvey.com slash case closed. That's P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y dot com slash case closed. Thanks. Now enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Case Closed, a show about the times the bad guy didn't get away with it, the times the good guys discover exactly who the killer is, and how sometimes that's just the beginning of the story. I'm Charlie Spicer. When we left off last episode, Erin Corwin was leaving her home early on the morning of Saturday, June 28, 2014. She was three weeks pregnant and said she was heading into Joshua Tree National Park for the day. She never returned. Almost immediately, it became clear to the detectives investigating the case that there was foul play, and there was one suspect who quickly rose to the top of their list. But before we get into how exactly Erin died and who killed her, we're going to skip ahead to the search for Erin's body in the desolate desert setting of Joshua Tree National Park. Because although many murder investigations are somewhat straightforward, the rescue and recovery operation to find Erin Corwin was anything but. Early on, forensic and electronic evidence suggested that Erin went missing just outside of Joshua Tree, in an area known as a mining district, about a two-hour drive from 29 Palms, an area of approximately 2,000 square miles, according to author Shanna Hogan. There are thousands of mine shafts in the Joshua Tree National Park, and these have all been abandoned for years and sometimes decades. And so it was quite an ordeal and quite a job to search all these different mine shafts. It was like finding a needle in a thousand haystacks. And when you're trying to bring a killer to justice, there's one thing you have to remember. No body, no crime. Homicide cases without the victim's body are difficult to take to court. For starters, without a body, it's tough to prove the victim is actually dead and even harder to prove the victim was murdered. While things have improved technologically and there have been a lot more cases that are being prosecuted without the body, it's extremely hard and the prosecutors knew in this case if they didn't find a body, 
they would never be able to put Aaron's killer away. The search for Aaron Corwin would be one of the most difficult cases the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Office had ever taken on. I've probably been on, uh, you know, let's say between 100 and 300 searches. Wow. John Norman was the leader of the search and rescue team and answered the call that Aaron was missing. You know, they had her name, her age, where she was missing from, but they also had some information that the situation might not have been as straightforward as a usual person who went hiking or off by themselves with their name and another individual involved, and there was suspicion of, you know, somebody possibly being involved in their disappearance. And they said they might want to search some, uh, an area that is known to have uh, mines called the Old Dale District, and they had a reason to believe she could have been there at some point. So I drove straight out there, probably within an hour or so, getting the call. Most of our rescues are resolved in a matter of hours. Once we know exactly where someone is or where a body is that we need to recover, we get the right resources and it's fly it in, hike it in, and we typically, you know, those rarely last even overnight. You know, if we know right where to go, that happens quickly. But it was soon clear that would not be the case with Aaron. Very quickly, the search and rescue team realized that they were not searching for a live victim anymore. I think it was within a five-day period where everyone started to lose hope that they would find her alive. Aaron had been gone for so long, and the heat was just so fierce that they just knew that what they were looking for at that point was Aaron's dead body. While there were many unknowns facing the search and rescue team at the outset of the search, they were sure of one thing. The hunt for Aaron's body would be anything but simple. The area outside Joshua Tree National Park, the terrain was extremely rugged and the search and rescue vehicles couldn't handle being on the road. The heat at that point was well over 100 degrees every single day, even after the sun went down. And some of the vehicles broke down. Some of them had flat tires. They had many, many issues with wild animals. They confronted snakes. At one point, a swarm of bees got into one of the rescue vehicles. They had to light brush on fire and try and smoke them out. It was um, quite an ordeal. And these guys were just working under horrendous conditions. In the end, a team of hundreds of volunteers would spend over 5,000 hours searching for Aaron. But even amid all of the difficulties, the group did not lose sight of their mission, according to Jeff Lehman, a member of the search and rescue team. My goal, or the team's goal, has always been, if we know the person's not alive, we want to make sure we find them so that their family has closure. And, you know, there's some kind of evidence that we can get whoever did it put in jail. The way I see it is that, in many cases, we are the first step towards things returning to normal. So even if we do not find a live person, we are either helping bring justice or closure or some type of return to normalcy for the people who are still living and still affected by whatever tragedy has happened. Every one of these search and rescue members took Aaron's case personally. They searched for Aaron like they were searching for their daughter or their niece or their, you know, best friend's child. They really were, like, taking a lot of time and getting to know 
the story and it just really drove these rescuers to work extra hard, put in extra long days to try and find her. As the search area narrowed to 300 square miles of desert, search and rescue team coordinator John Norman knew exactly who to call for help, Doug Billings. Saturday morning, I went to the detectives, and they're like, who are you? And I just made up, I said, I'm the mine expert. <laughs> I just made it up. I said, I'm the mine expert. He was the cave expert for Joshua Tree. He's a world-renowned cave expert who actually goes into volcanoes, caves, and underground tunnels like throughout the world, and sometimes is the first person to actually step foot in these terrains. And it's really quite remarkable what he does and how he ends up mapping out some of these places that have never been seen anywhere in the world. Just by the grace of God, she disappeared in a spot where I happen to be probably the world-leading expert on exploring that area. Since I was a kid, I've explored every single mine. I've mapped many of my, I know how I've measured them. I've, I've read their reports in the library from the 1890s all the way up to the 50s. I spent decades, you know, doing it. Off and on, I still go out there, you know, because it's still interesting. When the search and rescue crew knew that she was in a mine shaft, they contacted Doug Billings right away, and he was able to look at some of the terrain and the photos and identify the mine shafts just by my by view and these are mine shafts that like pretty much look all the same you know some of them are squared off and some of them are just giant holes some of them are better preserved than others but he was able to look at the different mine shaft pictures and identify which one was in which area and really helped the team put together a map and compile like a list of areas where they needed to search. So he really was a vital person to the search. Doug Billings also felt that personal connection to Aaron's story. I was determined to find her. I was determined. I'm the kind of person where I could set on a mission and I'll, and I don't give up, you know, I'm, you know, that's kind of my obsessive exploration thing, like I'll find something and I'll say, oh, until I figure out that solve this mystery, it's going to bug me. So, I mean, I was staying up at night, just going crazy studying everything. And I met the family and, I, and then that's when it hit home. It's like, oh, you know, there's the mother, there's the father, there's the cousin, there's a the brother. And they're like, they shake your hand and say, thank you, you know, for going out looking for our daughter. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, I go, I won't stop until we find her. With Doug Billings' expertise, the search narrowed even further to three mining regions in the Mojave, the Dale Mining District, the Brooklyn Mining District, and the Eagle Mining District. But it didn't necessarily get any easier. They went and started searching these vertical mine shafts, and what they would do was they would break down into teams of three, and one of them would volunteer to go underground, and they would connect the person to a harness and rig rope so that they could drop the person down into the mine shaft, 
with a camera most times. They built a specific bucket camera for this job, which had a light attached to a camera and a bucket where they could drop that down and record footage of what was at the bottom of the mine shaft and then pull it out and review it. So whoever volunteered to go into the mine shaft operated the bucket cam and would be the one that would look for footage to see if anything was at the bottom of that mine shaft. It was the third week in August. It had been eight weeks of searching. It was regularly 115 degrees, and to beat the heat, the team would start working at three in the morning. Time was running out. Search and rescue is all volunteer. People have to take off time for their jobs, and then they're gonna have a bunch of volunteers going out and trying to search all the areas that are most likely for them to be found in. And so, you know, it's going to go a day, two days, it'll go a week. Uh, we found live people up to maybe 10 days uh, out. At some point, though, if there aren't a lot of clues and not a good reason to suspect they could still be alive, the search gets called off or gets scaled back to maybe one more final push weekend when they can rally 100 people, you know, a month from now, and dogs and air resources and everything. It's going to be a good weather day to try and clear it out and find them. But at some point, though, there just aren't resources. They have to be conserved for the next person who may be found alive. The team of rescue workers and detectives working to find Aaron needed to end the search. They decided Saturday, August 16th, would be the end. When we come back from the break, we go inside that last day. This episode is supported by the new novel, The Vanishing Man, by Charles Finch. It's the latest suspenseful installment in the continuing adventures of Detective Charles Lennox. If you've never read a Detective Lennox novel before, this is a great one to start with. It takes place in London in 1853. In this book, Detective Lennox is assigned to track down a thief after a portrait is stolen from a duke's private study. But there was a far more valuable, even priceless object left behind in that very room, one that holds the key to England's most closely held secret. Now Detective Lennox must find the thief fast, because a second theft would change everything. You can find a copy of The Vanishing Man by Charles Finch wherever books are sold. It's available in hardcover, ebook, and digital audio. Again, that's The Vanishing Man by Charles Finch. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. Think about the last time you had a breakfast you felt good about, something that actually nourished your body. With Daily Harvest, eating a healthy breakfast is easy and delicious. Daily Harvest delivers more than 50 carefully sourced, chef-crafted smoothies, savory bowls, overnight oats, and more, all built on fruits and vegetables. Everything stays fresh in your freezer until you're ready to eat it. And prep is easy. All you have to do is add water or milk, heat, and enjoy. Daily Harvest is the easiest, most delicious way to load up on fruits and vegetables any time of day. I'm always running from meeting to meeting, so Daily Harvest is a great way to stay healthy. Go to daily.com 
cupcake-harvest.com and enter promo code CASECLOSED, all one word, to get three cups free in your first box. That's promo code CASECLOSED for three free Daily Harvest Cups at daily-harvest.com. daily-harvest.com. The search for Aaron Corwin had reached its final day. After eight weeks of searching, it all came down to Saturday, August 16th. Expert Doug Billings had identified the mines they would check. The cavers were separated into teams of three. One of those cavers was Luca Chiarabini. Luca was one of the volunteers on the search and rescue team who had been working with them for several years. He was an adventurer who liked to go out on his own, explore different unknown areas. He had the skills to be able to do these sorts of things that no one else could do. And he was willing to do that for free on his spare time just to give back and to help, you know, bring closure to families that might have lost a loved one out in this, you know, dangerous terrain. It was about 4.30 p.m. on the last day of the search when Chiarabini and the crew went to the final mine on their list. One of his team members spotted something shiny near the mine shaft lip and looked down and saw what was a bullet casing. And Luca approached the mine shaft and bent down, and right away he noticed this noxious, horrible smell. It was like gasoline mixed with human decomposition, and he had to avert his face. Right away, they contacted John Norman. I got a call on the radio saying, hey, there's something that Nathan found over at Site 108, and could you come over and help get the bucket cam set up? The vertical shaft sloped gradually to the side, which meant that it would be impossible to simply lower the bucket cam from the mouth of the mine. If Aaron's body was at the bottom of this mine shaft, they needed to be able to capture that image on camera. But this mine shaft was so deep and it was so fragile that it was quite dangerous to go into it. Rocks were falling from the top. The bottom had what was known as a false floor, which meant it could fall through at any moment if anything heavy landed on it. And it was such a deep mine shaft that it was very precarious to send someone into it. But they decided to send Luca down. This was no easy task, and was a seriously dangerous one at that. What they detected right away was that there wasn't a lot of oxygen in the bottom of the mine shaft, but that the smell was something flammable and something dangerous, possibly gasoline. The team would later uncover a propane tank in the mine. We put someone in a set of coveralls and a full-face respirator and lowered them down with a complex system, dropped them down just far enough that he could get a positive ID and say, yep, that strongly looks like that, that's got to be her. You know, that's def- there's definitely a female body and this other, these other items, like, at the bottom of that hole. He didn't go, you know, all the way down, just long enough to make sure that we were sure this was a person. As Luca descends further into the mine shaft, His eyes are watering, he can't breathe. They continue to send him further and further down and he lowers the bucket camera down and the light illuminates the bottom of the mine shaft and he thinks he sees an image at the bottom. 
a body contorted at the at the bottom of the mine shaft wearing tattered clothes covered with dirt and rocks by that time the police had arrived and detectives were there and they reviewed the footage and they saw what looked like Aaron's body we stopped everything stopped it was definitely a powerful moment we knew the searching had reached its conclusion we were no longer in the search stage we knew she's there, we know she's deceased, there's no one to save, unfortunately. So at that point, our mission changes to recovery. Aaron had been found. After a grueling retrieval operation the next day, the body was recovered. The corpse was so decomposed and disfigured, it had to be identified using dental records. But by 9.30 p.m., the body found at the bottom of Mine Site 108 was identified as Aaron Corwin. For cave expert Doug Billings, the discovery was bittersweet. How do you feel when you find out that you were right, like uh, that you pinpointed it and that you were so vital in, in recovering the body of this missing girl and ultimately, you know, securing justice for her? I, I just felt accomplished. I felt relieved. You know, that was really a relief. Like, thank God. Because it's like, it was so hard, and as interesting as it was, it was stressful. And, and I mean, I was up at, late at night talking to the detectives, late at night studying maps, late at night looking at, you know, areas outside the area, and, and just, I mean, and, and just obsessing on it, and just thinking about the family and how upset they must be and the fact that there's a freaking murderer loose, you know? And, and, and my family, you know, my, I had, my cousin was murdered, and that was heartbreaking, so I knew personally the feeling as like seeing my cousin, who was like a brother to me, you know, get killed, and then seeing their family go through it. So I, I knew, I knew how they were feeling. So I mean, I, I felt relieved, I guess, for the most, you know, you know, it's just a big sigh of relief. John Norman felt the same. I think this one was definitely the most prolonged, protracted, technically difficult, resource-intensive, definitely the longest and most difficult search I've been on, and definitely, I guess I would say that, you know, also the most difficult search I've been on with, with a positive result. Within something like two hours of the body recovery, she was immediately flown from that site to the morgue. Within two hours of that, she'd been positively identified, and within, you know, a very short period of time, maybe another two hours, our uh, suspect had been arrested. Without a body, it would have been exceedingly difficult to convict Aaron's killer. But because of the efforts of hundreds of volunteers, Aaron was one step closer to justice, and soon. Because as uncertain as the rescue operation had been, the detectives working on the case were sure they knew who did it. Next time on Case Closed. I don't know what might have been going through your head when you found out she was pregnant. Were you at all, like, you know, telling your best friend secrets? Were you, like, thinking in the back of your mind, Erin's going to be so mad at me when she comes back? Oh, yeah. We know for a fact that you were the last one to be with her. We know that. 
Case Closed is a production of Macmillan Podcast. The show is produced by Katie Ferguson with help from Becky Celestina, Camila Salazar, Sarah Grill, and Alyssa Martino. Huge thanks to Shanna Hogan. To learn more about Aaron Corwin's story, pick up a copy of Shanna's new book, Secrets of a Marine's Wife, available at any bookstore or as an audiobook, February 26th. We'll be back with a new episode next Tuesday. I'm Charlie Spicer. Thanks so much for listening. If you can't wait for even more Case Closed, you're in luck. Our second season is already available right now exclusively on Stitcher Premium. Season 2 focuses on Rusty Snyderman, an Atlanta family man who was shot in the parking lot of his son's preschool. It's a totally different story, but just as captivating. Just go to stitcherpremium.com slash caseclosed, all one word, to listen now, and use the promo code CLOSED for a free month. That's stitcherpremium.com slash case closed and the promo code closed. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.